toasty. Good morning. The word of the Lord comes to us today from Psalm 107. So please take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me there to Psalm 107. Let's pray. Father, we, as we come before you this morning to continue our corporate time of worship, we come recognizing that you are worthy, that you are altogether wonderful to us, and that we do not deserve such a great mercy or blessing from you. We come now to open your book, to look to your word, that you may teach us, and we will listen and obey. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word, that you would bless the explanation of it, um, that you would help us to understand its meaning and to apply it to our lives. So to this end, Lord, we pray expectantly, knowing that you will work within us for your good pleasure, that you will enable your word to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, and Lord, that through your word you will complete us and equip us for every good work. So we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is the Word of God, Book 5, Psalm the 107th. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress he sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths. The courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, 
and the waves of the sea were hushed. And then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This psalm is um, the last of my planned five-part sermon series through the book of Psalms because I chose to give you a five-part sermon series instead of a 150-part sermon series. You're welcome. Um, But I wanted to go through the Psalms with us. The Psalms are so critical and near and dear to all of us Christians in our personal walk with the Lord, in our prayer life. They are common. They are understandable. They are the heartfelt prayers and cries of God's people to Him. And so, in the average Christian's daily walk with the Lord, I think we turn to the Psalms most often. Um, The Psalms are there for us in the morning, in the evening. They guide us. They comfort us. um, They help us through the ups and downs of life as we also, along with God's people, look to the Lord for strength and for guidance. I don't think we hear the Psalms preached very often, and part of my desire, in addition to going through the Psalms, um, was to equip us to read the Psalms better. So I just want to briefly repeat some of the principles that I've told you in the past, but um, this isn't a classroom or a lecture, so I'll be really brief. Just as a way of reminder, this is a, a song, and as a song, it's meant to be sung, um, but it was also meant for the instruction and the comfort and the corporate worship of God's people, Israel. Out of all the Psalms, there's different types of songs, and they have their different types to have different functions. So most commonly, there's three main types of songs. We call them praise psalms or lament psalms or wisdom psalms. And these categories of songs kind of guide the purpose and application of the psalm. So for instance, Psalm 107, I would say, is both a praise and a wisdom psalm. If we miss the point that we are to praise the Lord from Psalm 107, then we might as well just go home right now, because that is the point. We need to praise the Lord um, for what he has done. But the psalm also calls us to consider and to think about the truths of life and to take Uh, moments to think and ponder about what is wisdom. So it's meant for our worship, our praising of the Lord, also for our corporate instruction. God is the ultimate author of the Psalms. This is God's word for his people. And yet God in his sovereignty has chosen to work through inspiring human authors who wrote the Psalms. He's also chosen to work by inspiring human editors or compilers The men who compiled these psalms collected them and arranged them in the order and in the structure that we find them in in our English Bibles. 
we have Psalm 107 that immediately follows Psalm 106 for a reason. We also have these psalms in five books, and Psalm 107 starts book five for a reason, and that reason is inspired by the Lord. In these five books, I've mentioned that these five books bear a a discernible theme to them that can help us to guide and um, uh, put some applicative thoughts to our own lives. In in book one, um, we saw a lot of David's conflict with Saul, and he cries out to the Lord. There's a lot of lament psalms, a lot of crying out to God. Um, In book two, we see a lot of David's kingship and psalms that kind of play off of the theme of kingship, both in, in David's life as he writes most of those psalms, but also in the fact that God is the ultimate king, and he is the one who deserves our true worship. In book three, we see crisis and invasion of Israel, perhaps, as what's going on historically. Um, the psalmist in book three cry out to the Lord in anguish and in confusion. God, what is going on? Save us, O Lord. How long will it be? They cry out to him in lament. And these psalms um, are near and dear to us because they often reflect the prayers of our own hearts as well. Book four, which we uh, talked about last time when we went through Psalm chapter 90, um, is in general a reflection on the exile of God's people and their need for God's deliverance. And if you remember, last time um, we were in Psalm 90, um, we saw Moses' song that was arranged there um, at the beginning of that book to begin this theme of reflecting on exile. And we see that Moses began Psalm 90 with saying, this is who God is. He is eternal. He is the king. He is the creator. And this is who man is. He is fleeting. He is overcome by sin. And he will die. And God and man in the same room is a problem. And the psalm looks forward to our solution in Christ. It responds seeking God to instruct his people how to live in wisdom before him. Psalm 90 begins book 4, and Psalm 106, just before our psalm, ends book 4. And a part of the context of our passage today, I have to say a few words. First of all, Psalm 106 not only immediately precedes Psalm 107, but it's also directly linked, textually linked to Psalm 107. It starts with the same opening verse in verse 1 of Psalm 106 to 107. Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. This is a common chorus and and, uh, praise of the Psalms, but it's here at the beginning of both uh, 106 and 107. Psalm 106 wraps up uh, this reflection in Israel's exile by listing out the story in song form of Israel's uh, rejection of the Lord, of their um, times of disobedience um, that we would know well through our Bible stories, perhaps in Sunday school, um, when they rebelled against the Lord and the Lord's anger was kindled against them and he brought enemies against them. Um, But nevertheless, he looked upon their distress and heard their cry. The psalm ends, Psalm 106, um, verse uh, 47, and saying, save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from the nations um, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. That was the hope that the exiles had when they went into um, their captivity, that God had promised by his prophets that he would gather them back to this place to establish a name for himself from as far as they had gone to all of the nations that they had gone. He would gather them back and establish them here in this land, the land of Israel. And now as we open book 5, Psalm 107 gives thanks to the Lord for the fulfillment of this promise that he has done these things and he has brought his people back. So with that little bit of context, here is Psalm 107. Um, We have three really discernible parts 
to Psalm 107. First is a opening verse, as I'm going to call it, because this is like a, a song. And our typical church tradition, our songs normally go like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus. Um, not so much in the way that the psalms are constructed, but there's a verse that opens. Um, and this verse is not only the opening verse, but it's also a thesis of the, of the psalm. And then following that, we have four verses of deliverance of God's people, and that's really the body and the meat of this song. And then at the end of those four verses, it kind of switches up the, the dynamics, if you will, and concludes with a wisdom hymn that is very poetic, not in the fact that it rhymes, but in the fact that there's parallelism and symmetry here that calls us to think and to ponder and to reflect upon the wisdom of what has just been said. So three parts of what I'm about to tell you, and first of all, um, the opening praise and thesis, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 107 begins with this call to praise the Lord, and that is the point. So if you write down anything, this is the point. We need to praise the Lord but we'll get into more of that. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, and His steadfast love endures forever. Again, like I said, this line is found many times throughout the Psalms. It is a recurring praise to God because it is recurringly true that our God is so, so good. And because of His goodness to us, when we don't deserve it, we owe him a response of praise and adoration for who he is and what he has done. Because truly, his steadfast love endures forever. This line is especially found later on in this book in uh, Psalm 136, when um, for his steadfast love endures forever is like every other line. Um, Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. So it's, it's a repeated chorus, um, and it calls us, as we begin this new book, this new thought, this new praise to the Lord, um, to worship Him and to give thanks to Him because He is still good today. Secondly, verse 2 is our thesis. This is the secondary main point of the psalm. Um, the author calls for those who are redeemed of the Lord to say so because we cannot keep Silence, lest the rocks themselves cry out. We have been redeemed from the Lord, uh, by the Lord, from our trouble, from our distress, um, from our sin, from death. Here, specifically for the children of Israel, they have been redeemed by the Lord from the nations to which He has sent them um, in exile. And He has brought them back. He has purchased them. He has brought them back to His land to be His people so that He may be their God. So this is this thesis. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, um, whom He has redeemed from trouble. In mirroring uh, Psalm 106.47, He has, the cry is to gather us from the nations. Here the Lord has gathered in from the lands, from the four corners of the land, from east and west and north and south. There's four directions that uh, God has called his people from. Really, this is just symbolic that God has called his people from everywhere. But then the psalmist is about to give us four verses of examples of God's people and how they have been delivered by the Lord from different experiences to receive his grace. So here's our opening praise and thesis. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And now we have four verses. We'll spend the bulk of our time here. Four verses that are examples of God's deliverance for his people. First of all, there's a few common elements to these verses from uh, verse 4 to verse 32, and maybe you heard them when I was reading it. Um, these verses bear the same structure of five things. First of all, there's a predicament of the people who are caught in whatever predicament they're caught in, the predicament of men, and then they cry to the Lord and he delivers them. This is the common thing that's repeated every verse. And it's word for word every verse. Um, 
Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. Our crying out to God is directly related to our deliverance um, by Him. Uh, We cannot be delivered by Him unless we first cry out to Him, and it's the crying out to God that triggers and affects the events that happen afterward. After they cry out, God delivers them. There's then, thirdly, an action of God as uh, the psalmist describes how God delivers them specifically from their um, predicament. And then there is a call to thank the Lord for His action in delivering them. And this phrase is also repeated exactly. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man is in each of the four verses. After this call to thank the Lord, there are, there's an add-on at the end of each verse. Um, the first two verses, the add-on is a, is a grounding reason for why, again, we should thank the Lord that reminds us of what He's done for us. And then the last two verses, the add-on to the verse is a call to further praise Him and to declare of His praise to others because he is worthy of it. So I just want to briefly go through these verses and kind of highlight these elements for us. In the first section, verses 4 through 9, we have the first sum, four sums. Some people wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. From these people, their predicament is, first of all, that they're lost. They don't know where they are. They don't know where they're going. They wander in desert wastes, and it's not a good place for them to be. Secondly, they're hungry and they're thirsty because they don't have nourishment and they don't have sufficient food. So as a result of their lostness and their hungriness, their souls faint within them, and then they come to our second element, They cry out to the Lord. Instead of trying to deal with it themselves or suck it up, they cry out to the Lord um, and He delivers them um, from their distress. How He delivers them is seen in um, verse 7. He led them by a straight way. They're not lost anymore. He leads them and guides them till they reach a city to dwell in. A city where they'll be safe a city where they'll find food and protection and life. As a result of God's saving action, the call is for them to thank the Lord for His steadfast love and His wondrous works to the children of man. That's the chorus, that's the line that we repeat again and again. And the reason why we do it in this case is because He satisfies the longing soul And the hungry soul he fills with good things. So the point of this verse is that those who are lost and hungry, who cry out to the Lord and are delivered by him to find a city to dwell in and to find food that is nourishing, is that they find satisfaction in the Lord and because of it, they should praise him and thank him for it. The chief points in these verses as we are called to praise the Lord for what he has done is ultimately to avoid the mistake of the ten lepers or the nine lepers in Luke 17 who failed to come back to the Lord because of the great work that he has done in their lives. One guy comes back and Jesus says, Where, where's everybody else? Is there nobody else except for this foreigner to give praise to God for what he has done to them? The psalmist says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let them thank the Lord because he satisfies. It's good for them to remember this and to continually do it. Secondly, the next verse is the, our second sum. Verses 10 through 16. Some sat in darkness in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Whereas the, um, the first and the last verse really describe people who have a condition about them and they're just lost and they need help, the second and the third verses both deal with people who are 
sinners by description. These people have sinned against the Lord. In this first case, they have rebelled against Him. And as a just response to their rebellion before the King of Kings, they are imprisoned as the King's enemies. They sit in darkness, the shadow of, a, of death. They are prisoners in their affliction, and they cannot do anything about it. The reason for this, again in verse 11, is because they had rebelled against the words of God. And the result of their rebellion is that their hearts are bowed down, they fall down, and there's none to help them. Their condition is truly hopeless and miserable. But they don't choose to stay there. Verse 13, they cry to the Lord in their distress and he delivers them from their distress. He brings them out. This is his action. He brings them out of darkness and the shadow of death and bursts their bonds apart. He frees them and liberates them and brings them back into the light. So as a response, we have this line that is our chorus within the verse, if you will. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love and his wondrous works to the children of man. Add on grounding reason. Because... For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Truly, when we say that there is no distance, no length that is too far for the Lord to save, to heal, or to bring back, it's totally true. Because our God is the God who shatters iron doors, bronze doors, iron bars, and he completely obliterates them in his liberation. His liberation is complete and whole and effective. And these people who were God's enemies cry out to the Lord in their distress and he frees them from their bonds. Perhaps there were even groups of people from the Israelite exiles as they return to the promised land who were prisoners in, in bars and in restraints who were freed by the Lord and free to then return back to their homes in the promised land. The point, the call, is that they praise the Lord in response for what he has done. Let them thank the Lord for this salvation. Third verse. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. This, this third group is also described as sinners, um, but instead of being rebellious sinners, they're just described as foolish sinners. Perhaps that means it's because they're ignorant, while as the first group were cognizant of their rebellion, and perhaps they're just lost in their sins and all they know is how to sin. Either way, the Bible refers to sin as folly, and it is... A, a captivating and crippling condition that ultimately brings us to death. All through Proverbs and the rest of the Bible, we see that the way of sin leads to death. My son, do not go there. Do not talk to the forbidden woman. Do not do these things, but instead bind my instruction around you because it is the way of life. Conversely, the way of sin leads to death. And we can reflect and know that the results and the consequences of our sin often do lead to physical affliction and ailments where we have sicknesses and we have diseases and we have the physical consequences of sin in our lives that are the direct result of our folly in chasing after sin. These people have nothing. They don't even have sound health to inquire of the Lord, to stand in their own strength. They, they are not eating food, and they're just giving up, drawing near to the gates of death. But they don't stay there. They cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivers them from their distress. How does he deliver them from their distress? Well, he sends out his word, and he heals them, and he delivers them from their destruction, from the affliction that the folly of their sin had set themselves in. God heals them through his word and delivers them. 
So the response, the chorus, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And now we have an additional call to praise and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds to others in songs of joy because the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And where I was once lost in the folly of my sin, he has healed me and delivered me and I will praise the Lord and tell others about it in songs of joy. Lastly, the final verse, our last sum, verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord and his wondrous works in the deep. These sailors are skilled, proficient businessmen who make their living from sailing the seven seas and bringing home their plunder to then sell, and and this is their business, their living, and and this is their occupation. They're skilled at it. And yet in this one circumstance that the psalmist is describing for us, they see firsthand the wondrous works of the Lord. Because the Lord commanded and raised up a stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. I think of Hansen's series in Jonah where the Lord hurled this great storm upon the sea. The Lord commands, he speaks and summons this storm and these waves are so big they mount up to heaven and they come down to the depths. I can't imagine what it'd be like to be in a boat and have the whole boat be going up and be going down, just like a really bad roller coaster because there's no rails or anything keeping you attached to anything. Um, even though these men are skilled, they are reeling and staggering like drunken men as a result of this storm, and they're at their wits' end because they can do hardly else other than hang on for dear life because of this storm that God has summoned. This is their predicament. They don't try to figure it out on their own. They don't try to vainly strive to fix their situation. They clearly perceive that they are powerless here. And as a response, they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivers them from their distress. How does he deliver them? Well, the one who commands the storm calms it. He also commands it to stop. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. And then these men, verse 30, were glad that the waters were quiet, peaceful, and he brought them to their desired haven. The response, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And not only that, but let them extol, verse 32, let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders because this great God has done wondrously for us. So we have these four verses. And within the four verses, we have these four people groups, the lost and hungry, the rebel prisoners, the sick and afflicted sinners, and the powerless sailors. And these groups the psalmist gives as a representation of the people of God that he has called in from the four corners to bring back to his land. I think a temptation for us perhaps is to look at these four groups of people and to say, well, which one am I? Which one do I fit in? But that's not the point because the point is all four of these groups of people represent God's people. And if we are going to look at this as Christians, we would easily see that we fit all four groups, that we are the lost and the hungry, that we were rebel prisoners, that we were sick sinners, and that we also were powerless to do anything about our own fate. These four categories comprehensively describe every person today. And either we need to cry out to the Lord and be delivered by him from our distress, or we have been delivered by him from our distress, and we ought to praise him as a result of what he has done. This is the the point and the structure of these four verses. So we have these four verses, 
But then the song kind of ends in a different way. It changes structure. We're no longer going with a verse with these five points. We turn to a parallel um, poem that is concluding this song in teaching us about who God is and calling us to have wisdom because of it. So verse 33, our wisdom hymn. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. I think we can read through these verses quickly because they're poetic and they flow, um, but the truth that we can't miss is that there are some very distinct reversals of what is normal, of what is the order of the world here that can only happen at the command of the Lord as he brings these reversals about. He turns rivers into desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, fruitful land into salty waste. We may not think that that can happen overnight or even quickly, but by the power of the Lord, these things happen. And they happen for a reason. They happen because of the evil of the land's inhabitants. So here is a, a negative piece of wisdom that tells us that God is able to take the prospering and the good and the whole and the flourishing and easily bring it to the exact opposite of emptiness and vanity. Secondly, verse uh, 35, we have an opposite paired and positive example. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there, we have an extended description, there he lets the hungry dwell. He lets them dwell there. They establish a city to live in because of his allowance. They sow fields and plant vineyards, and they get a fruitful yield because of the blessing and allowance of God for the hungry. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. So here is the opposite of the reversals, is that the hungry, the destitute, those who have nothing, are able to be blessed by the Lord when he, by his great power, takes nothing, waste, desert, and turns it into fruitfulness, abundance, and life-giving land. And there he lets his people flourish. This section of this wisdom poem reminds us that God is able to give life, and he's able to take it away. He's able to judge the rebellious, and he's able to save those who are truly destitute and who call out to him. So we have a second pair, verse 39 and following. When they, who? These people that are hungry, that are brought to this land and are caused to flourish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. This first part of the second pair is the negative example. It goes negative, positive, negative, positive. This negative thing is that even those who by God's grace were brought to this land and caused to flourish may come across oppression, evil, and sorrow because the world is broken or because they have sinned and turned from the Lord. Perhaps in the haughtiness of their own heart, they have thought that they in their own power have accomplished all of these blessings, that they have taken a land of desert and made it into pools of water, that they by their strength have established this city for themselves to dwell in, and they forget to praise the name of the Lord. And as a response, God in his justice sends contempt on princes and returns them to trackless wastes. I think we don't need to think very far just to remember the story of Israel and how God took them from slavery in the desert. 
and brought them to a land flowing with milk and honey where he established them as the nation, as a people of God, established a kingdom for them. And yet because of their unfaithfulness to the Lord, he quickly brought hardship and oppression and evil and sorrow to them and caused those kings and princes to fall into contempt and to return to wastes of vanity. This calls for our wisdom. God, who saves those from evil and establishes them in, in good and in blessing, is also able to do the opposite. He's also able to bring his people into judgment and to return them to their trackless wastes if they forget about his steadfast love. But verse 41, the second half of this second pair, the positive, negative, positive, negative, positive, but even though God does this action of returning perhaps his own people to oppression, evil, and sorrow, but he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. This truth about who God is remains the same. It remains constant. No matter where we are in life, no matter what we have done, our God is a God who hears the cry of the broken and who saves the needy out of their affliction and makes them abound in blessing and multiplication and little children running around like flocks, happy blessing and life. This work of the Lord in raising up the needy causes the upright to rejoice because they see the works of God and they thank the Lord for His steadfast love and for His wondrous works to the children of man because they recognize, the upright recognize, that this is not our own doing. This is the work of God and we will praise Him for it. However, this work of salvation that is wondrous towards the children of man causes those who are in wickedness to shut up because they have nothing to say before the God of gods who alone saves and alone judges. Their power, their striving, their wisdom is all brought to nothing before this God and his power. So, at the end of this wisdom hymn with a negative, positive, negative, positive, think about this. This is who God is. This is how he works. We have a conclusion. This conclusion that calls us to consider these things. Verse 43. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This conclusion in verse 43 certainly takes a different tone, doesn't it? From the beginning of, of calling out, praise the Lord, praise the Lord for his steadfast love. That's a joyful, happy thing. And yet when, we, when we're called to remember and reflect the steadfast love in verse 43, it almost has a more somber, serious feel to it. And it's that way for a reason. The reason is because we cannot take for granted this steadfast love of God. We should praise Him for it, but we also need to remember that this God who gives steadfast love is also the God who is the judge of all the earth, and He will not be mocked. He will not turn a blind eye to our disobedience. So we are called to attend to these things. Our attendance to these things is both in our personal testimonies as we recount the fact that the, this is what God has done and this is what God has done for me. And I believe our attendance to these things is also in our responsibility, our stewardship of these words. I don't know about you, but seeing this wisdom hymn with the negative, positive, negative, positive reminds me of Deuteronomy. If you remember anything about Deuteronomy, God's people, people of Israel, are coming into the promised land finally. The second generation after those who have been wiped out, who have wandered in the desert for 40 years, the second generation get to try again. 
to enter the promised land. And Moses repeats the law to them. And I'm just going to read this section from Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, briefly, 15 through 20. He repeats the law to them, and he sets before them the blessing and the curse of obedience and disobedience to God's law. Deuteronomy 30, 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. And here in Psalm 107, the psalmist is essentially saying the same thing. Ponder, think, consider. I am setting before you the words of life. These words are not merely a praise to God that we can praise God because, oh yeah, I should praise God. These words are life and death. These are the means by which we come to God and find life. And these are also the means by which we are stuck in the predicaments of our sin. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. We've seen how these four verses depict the people of God returning from exile, how they have experienced the Lord's salvation in wondrous works because just like he has promised, he has brought them back and delivered them through a plethora of different ways, through these four ways specifically, holistically, and he has redeemed them from trouble and delivered them from their distress. And I think it's also easy for us to see how easy it is for each of us to fit into not just one of these categories, but all of them. All of these verses describe all of us, either what we were or what we are. And not only that, but I think there's more to these verses than these simple salvation accounts in a call to praise. Like I said, these are the words of life, and we bear an obligation to attend to them with the presence and response of our own lives and in our obedience in being the heralds and managers and stewards of these words. So, just briefly, hopefully, briefly in closing, I want to relook at these four verses. And I'll tell you what I'm going to tell you. I want to relook at these four verses in light of the words, the person, and the works of Jesus Christ. And in light of the consequences that we face if we do not share them. The words, the person, the works of Jesus, and the consequences if we do not share them. The first verse, verses 4 through 9, the lost and the hungry. We remember that these who are lost, they wander in desert wastes, they're hungry, they have no food, their soul is fainting within them, they cry out to the Lord, he saves them, he makes a straight way for them to a city to live in, and there they live and flourish because they are satisfied in him. In terms of Jesus' words, it's been remarked that the first four of the Beatitudes in Matthew 6 pertain to how we come to Christ. And the second four pertain to our life after him. And I just want to direct your attention to the fact that Jesus said, 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus is the bread of life, who said, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He fed the hungry, both with bread and with the words of life, and he's still doing it today. We recognize that we cannot come to him or be led into his city unless we come hungry for righteousness. And if we do not share of the life that we have found in him, then the lost and the hungry will not hear the words of life. Romans 10, 14, and how are they to hear unless someone is preaching? The second verse, the rebellious prisoners, verses 10 through 16. We remember in this verse that there are some who sit in darkness, in the shadow of, of death, imprisoned and shackled by their rebellion against the king. They have nothing, they face nothing, they are bowed down and they fall down and there is none to help. And I just want to direct your attention to the fact that Jesus said, blessed are um, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. For those who truly mourn their rebellion and are sick and tired of the shackles of their sin and who cry out to the Lord, there is comfort in the fact that Jesus is our substitute. He is the sacrifice in our place that makes payment for sin that we deserved to pay and he reconciles us to God. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, cut in two the veil separating God from man in the holy place from top to bottom. He led on high a host of captives, and he is still setting captives free today. We recognize that we cannot come to him unless we are set free from our bondage by the person and work of Jesus Christ. And not only does that call for our praise from now until eternity, but we have the message of our deliverance. If we do not share the message of deliverance that we have experienced, then those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death will not know that they can cry to the Lord in their trouble and be delivered by him from their distress. The third verse, the six sinners, verses 17 through 22. We remember in this verse that there are those who are fools. They're foolish in their sinful ways, and because of their ignorant, foolish sinfulness, they cause affliction for themselves, and they, they become a state of dying. They, they are not wanting to eat any food. They are near to the gates of death because that's what sin does. And I just want to direct your attention to the fact that Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These people have nothing. They don't even have physical health or strength to say, you know what, I can stand up on my own two feet because in the foolishness and the darkness of their own sin, they have put themselves into a state of perpetual dying. They are perishing. Having nothing left, they cry out to the Lord and he delivers them. They are at last driven in the desperation of their sinfulness and their sickness to go up to Gilead and take balm, Jeremiah 46, 11. We are reminded that Jesus is our healer. As Psalm 103 says, who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases. He is the son of man 
who with authority forgave sins and healed diseases. And he's still healing and forgiving sinners today. We recognize that we cannot come to him unless we are healed from the afflictions of our sin by his word. And if we do not share the message of hope with those who are perishing, then fools will continue without hope and they will die in their sins today. Lastly, the powerless sailors, verses 23 through 32. We remember the verse elements that these sailors are skilled, they're businessmen, they're out on the waters doing their thing because this is what they do. And they swiftly find themselves at the mercy of God's power. I just want to direct your attention to the fact that Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. These sailors, in their strength, seasoned sailors as though they may be, are no match for the strength of the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. Hebrews 1.3 We are reminded that Jesus is the preeminent firstborn of all creation, by whom all things were created through and for. Colossians 1.6 He speaks and summons the earth. Psalm 51, and he calms, as we know so dearly, he calms the wind and the waves. If he has the power to calm the wind and the waves, or to summon Lazarus from the grave, he is certainly able to summon prideful, reeling, staggering hearts to find their rest in him. And he's certainly about that business today. The question is, are we going to join him in that work? We recognize that we cannot come to him unless we ourselves come to our wit's end and realize that we cannot find salvation other than by his strength alone. If we do not share the message of a God who alone is mighty to save, then those who strive and stagger in vain to save themselves by their own strength, they will never know their need to call upon the Lord, who in steadfast love performs wondrous works for the children of man. I hope that in light of these four verses, looking through this and the person of work of Jesus, I hope that that's informative, uh, convicting by the Spirit's power. I, I do not mean to berate any of us. The Lord knows that I struggle as well in boldness and sharing my faith. But I just hope that these things are also inspiring for us because I am overcome by the fact that I serve a God who is able to save the lost through my meek and meager obedience. If I am but faithful to praise the Lord for what he has done in my life, and not only that, but to tell others of how good he is and how steadfast is his love and from what kind of destruction he saved me from, he is able to do marvelously. His words, the words that I share, the words of life, are the power of God unto salvation for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Our greatest need, first and foremost, to be sure, our greatest need in response to Psalm 107 is to not make the same mistake of the, of the nine lepers in Luke 17 who do not return to the Lord to give thanks to Him. If we have been saved, we need to praise the Lord for what He has done for us. We see that God saves the lost, the rebellious, the poor, the powerless, and such were all of us. Truly God saves, verse 41, truly God saves only the needy, and only the needy does he make their families like flocks. And this makes the upright to rejoice and the wicked to stop in their tracks. And we are called to attend to these things. To attend to these things by our personal presence 
my testimony. This is what God has done for me. And to attend to these things in our stewardship of these words of life. Because this psalm outlines how we are to come to Jesus. And we must agree with the psalmist when he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you are not a believer with us this morning, or if you're not sure, I would encourage you to come find me, to come find Jim, Hanson, the elders, Riches up here during our last song. Um, and we would love to listen to you, to pray with you, to help you find surety, or to help you find these words of life. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you and we thank you and we thank you for the marvelous works that you perform for the children of man. Truly, we cannot thank you enough for what you have done for us. And Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for how we can so quickly take it for granted, how we can forget how you have redeemed us from the pit, how we can forget our hopelessness and think by some measure of pride that we caused good to happen in our lives or we caused life. Lord, forgive us. Help us to remember your great and steadfast love for us. Help us to praise you for it. Help us to meditate and ponder the great truth and promise that is the blessing and the curse, the words of life. If we come to you needy, empty, and broken, and hungry, you are faithful to save. This is what we praise you for, and this is what others need to hear. So Lord, empower us. Empower us to take the words of life to those who are perishing because they need to hear it, and because you are a great and sovereign God who works in and through us to carry your message to the people who by your sovereignty you would save and deliver. Lord, we pray these things in the great, mighty, wondrous name of Jesus. Amen.